Welcome to the City of Refuge Church Podcast. We are so excited that you have joined us. We are a church that is called, connected, and commissioned. We want to call all people to repent and believe in our Savior's loving grace. We want to connect our neighborhood to the unity found in the greater family of Christ. We want to commission others to live as kingdom citizens before the world and heaven. And we hope that this podcast gives you a glimpse of what God is doing in us and in the Eau Claire community. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are coming, we're in the book of Nehemiah. We've got a sermon series called Building a Church to Rebuild a City. We are in week five in this sermon series, Nehemiah. Um, if you have a pew Bible around you, that'll be on page uh, 267 through 268 chapter 4. And also, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you that Bible. That is our gift to you, a free gift from us to you. We'd love for you to use that gift, that, that Bible, take it home, mark it up, even follow along the sermon so we can ask questions later. But we're in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, verses 1 through 23, and it reads, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews, what are these pathetic Jews doing? Can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back to life from the mounds of rubble? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, even if a fox climbed up what they were building, he would break it down, break down their stone wall. Listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on their own heads and let them be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. So we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to half its height for the people who had the will to keep working. When Sanballat, Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs and Ammonites and Ashodites heard that the repairs to the walls of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. They all plotted to come together. They plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. So we prayed to our God and stationed guards because of them day and night. In Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborers fails. Since there is so much rubble, we will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they won't realize it until we come, we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us, and said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. So I stationed people behind the lowest section of the walls. At the vulnerable areas, I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and, your, and daughters, your wives and homes. When our enemies heard that we knew their schemes and that God had frustrated it, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were rebuilding the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Each of the builders had his sword strapped around his waist while he was building. And the one who sounded the ram's horn beside me, 
Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out, and we are separated far from one another along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work. And while half of the men were holding spears from daybreak until the, until the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the, to the people, let anyone in his servants and let everyone in his servants spend the night inside Jerusalem so that I can that so that they can stand guard by night and work by day. And I, my brothers, my servants and the men of the guard with me never took off our clothes. Each carried his weapon, even when he washed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be unto God. Let us pray. Grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Father, that is the truth that we can continue to rely on. That no matter what comes our way, your word will stand forever. We can continue to run to you. Trust in you. Trust your promises. Trust what you have said over and over and over again. Father, I pray today that as we stand here, as I stand here, that you would declare boldly through me your word, that you would show the truth of yourself, that in our fears and our concerns and our doubts, we can cast our concerns on you because you care about us. Fathers, I believe there are so many that needs to hear that in this season where so many things are uncertain. There are so many concerns that we all carry around day to day. So, Father, I pray that you would draw to yourself those who are weary, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty, that we would find our rest in you, that you would use your word to re-engage and reignite our hearts to encourage us and to draw us to yourself. Pray that your spirit speaks today, that you will meet us here today, that you will show yourself high and lifted up today, that we, despite what we may go through, can walk away trusting and knowing that you are with us. So I pray today that I decrease, you increase, you show yourself strong and lifted up that we worship you in spirit and truth. So in your magnificent son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our sermon today is called, Where is Your God Now? If you've ever experienced doing or receiving something that you've prayed for and wished for, um, whether it's a new job, uh, starting college, a relationship, uh, maybe even starting a business, You've probably experienced this great excitement and renewed hope for what can be in the beginning. And you start, you start dreaming of the future and all the worlds of possibilities of how everything may pan out in our favor. But sooner or later, after life has hit you a few times, after Trial and trial has come. The excitement starts to wane. Life catches up with our busyness of doing all that we have seen to do in our vision for it to come to pass. We land at this place where we start to feel the tension of what we've prayed for, dreamed about, thought about for so long, and where we desire to be, and the reality of where we are right now. And the thought about and, and, and we start having both internal and external pressures that lead us to start doubting. Are we going where we're supposed to be going? Are we doing what we're supposed to be doing? Is this ever going to come together? If we ever get where we hope to be, uh, achieve what we hope to achieve, it may even leave us wondering in, the, in those seasons of life. God, where are you right now? 
I've prayed to you, but where are you right now? I, I, you've brought me here, and I thought this is where you wanted me to be, but where are you right now? And we start to feel like things aren't going as have we planned. When those tensions start to bubble up, anxiety and fear, it starts to set in. You may even find yourself doubting if you made the right decision to go in the first place. Family, have you ever been there? Like, just truthfully, have you ever been there like, is this what I'm really supposed to be doing? I've prayed about it. I thought this is the direction, but is, is this it? The famous uh, Charles Spurgeon, the famous theologian Charles Spurgeon, he once said, uh, the Lord does not come to us to forbid us from suffering or doubting, nor to remove our griefs, but really he comes to us to sustain us under them. In our text today, we're going to see kind of this tension of doubters are the people doubting, yet Nehemiah pointing and say, trust God. Seek God. Now, before I dive too deeply in this text, I want to make this note. This text can easily be manipulated to sound like it's a text that tells us how to overcome our haters. <laughs> or, or the Lord is preparing to make us successful in front of those who doubted us. But truth is, this text is less about us. And it's more about the faithfulness of God and how during our doubts we can still trust him. To be frank, oftentimes uh, with you, we don't really have haters. We don't have people that hate us like we think we do. Uh, Just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean that they hate you. You understand that disagreements don't lead to hate. See, in this sad and backwards, this that's the sad and backwards belief in our culture right now, <laughs> both in the church and in the secular. But see, we don't even realize what real hate is. See, when people really hate you and want to see your downfall, they put money behind slander campaigns. <laughs> they try to destroy your character and reputation before you even get out there. That's real hate. No family. We don't have many people that hate us like that. But we do have an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. We have an enemy who wants to set the Imago Dei, who wants to destroy the glory of God in each and one of our lives. He will put things in our path to make us doubt God. Here's the funny thing. He cares nothing about our stuff. He cares nothing about our time. He cares nothing about us. Really, what he cares about is that we don't look to God. He he cares that we don't seek and trust God. He knows he can't defeat God, but he knows if I defeat the people that's made in God's image, if I stop them from seeking him, then I can at least kill them. See, that's what real hate is. That's real hate. I hate a hate that wants you to die where you at. They, a, a hate that wants that doubt to bubble up, that fear to up, bubble up to make you stop seeking God. There's a wonderful book uh, written by Karen Spears, uh, Karen Spears Zacharias called uh, Where Is Your Jesus Now? And it's about how fear erodes faith. And it opens up about this crazy story about this young man who grew up a wonderful life, came from a Christian background, yet he just went the wrong path. He kind of went the wrong path. He started doubting God, started doubting everything, went down this path of destruction, and it starts out with him breaking into his, this is how the book starts. It starts with him breaking into his mother's house, trying to kidnap his children back from her. And while he's trying to kidnap his children back from her, it's a violent scene. He pulls a gun on his mother and father, and they literally put the gun to his mother's head and says, where is your Jesus now? And she says, he's right here. See, that's what fear and hatred really leads to. The enemy seeking to destroy our faith in this glorious God. Today in our text, we dive in, starting in verse 1, 
seeing people who actually are questioning God like that man questioned the God that his mother believed in. When San, it starts off, it says, when Sanballat, Tobiah, uh, Gashem, the Arab, and the rest of his are enemies. Oh, excuse me, I'm in, I'm in jump pages, I'm sorry. Uh, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious. He mocked the, jaw, the, the Jews before his colleagues and the powerful men of Samaria and said, what are these pathetic Jews doing? And then he asked these interesting questions. He says, can they restore it by themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they ever finish it? Can they bring these burnt stones back from the mounds of rubble? What he was trying to say right here is, do they really think God is with them? Do, do, do they really think they can do this by themselves? Are they really planning on making an offering to this God they say they worship? It's even very telling how he says, can they bring these burnt stones back to life? See, this implies that he knew these people believed that the city of Jerusalem was the, king, was the city of God and that God's glory dwelled with that city and that he was with his people. And he was saying, do they really believe God's with them? Can they, can they really believe that God will be with them, that he will care for them? He even rallied others to start getting in on the little snide remarks. In verse 3, it says, Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was beside him, said, Indeed, yeah. Even if a fox climbed up what they're building, he would break it down. That, that phrase right there was well known that rodents would be in cities that was desolate and destroyed. And he was like, even the smallest of rodents can break those walls down. They're so pathetic. They're so weak. They were doubting the God, and they were doubting the people who believed in this God. And the reason they were doubting wasn't because uh, they had a personal vendetta with just the people, but it was because if that city's rebuilt, it would tear down their own power system. This, these, the, the Ammonites, the, the Sambites, the Horonites, all these people were people who opposed the Israelites, but they knew they couldn't go to war with the Israelites, especially right now, because Artaxerxes has given a little army to Israel. So to go to war with the Am, go to war with Israel at this moment, since Artaxerxes is giving the permission over to, uh, to Nehemiah to go with this army, they'll literally be declaring war against Artaxerxes himself. So they're like, well, we can't touch him, but we could talk about him. We, we could talk bad about him. And they just mocked. And they just talked bad about the people of God and the city of God. Family, don't you know that's what the enemy does? He mocks our God. He tries to get us to doubt our God. He says, is God really with you? Can, can, will this really work out in your favor? You, should, you know, he does the same thing that he did with Eve. Did God really say that? Does God really care about you? <laughs> I don't think you should trust that God. It's, he's going to let everything crumble in your life. That's what the Ammonites and, and Tobiah was saying right now about Jerusalem. But Nehemiah, right here, starting in verse 4 through 6, he has this interesting plug put in here. It's kind of an abrupt stop. It doesn't never kind of transition like, and then I said. It was like Nehemiah was like, I'm not even going to talk to them. I'm going to talk to my God. I'm going to go pray to my God. Read, let's, listen to, let's read Nehemiah chapter four, I mean, verse 4 through 6. It says, listen, our God, for we are despised. Make their insults return on the, their own heads and let them take, be taken as plunder to a land of captivity. Do not cover their guilt or let their sin be erased from your sight because they have angered the builders. And he says, so we rebuilt the wall until the entire wall was joined together up to the half of its height for the people had the will to keep working. So he said, I prayed to my God and then we just kept going on the work. See, Nehemiah, I think he is teaching us an interesting thing. 
when our enemies mock, we don't have to address them or answer them. We could just turn to our God. We can pray to our God. Now, looking at his prayer, you might have questions like, how does this uh, sound like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 when he says, pray for your enemy, pray for those who persecute you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 44 says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So how does this sound loving? That might be your question, because that's some harsh word. He's like, return it on them 10 times, Lord. Let them experience depression. Let them experience poverty. Break down their walls. Let them feel what we're feeling. Well, this is where this part of the text is very interesting. And this is where we actually, as a church, I believe we need to wrestle with how we pray against the systems of this world, but also still care for the people of this world. See, the people he was praying for, there wasn't a relationship that was severed, and there would be no reconciliation towards the people he was praying for. And he wasn't praying or standing against an individual, but in the end of the day, he was praying against a system. There was systematic oppression taking place right now that was trying to keep Israel from moving forward. He was praying against this evil and wicked system. Nehemiah was praying for justice. He was praying that justice would befall a corrupt system that stood against the work that would ultimately bring God glory. You see, we have to realize that we pray to a God who is both just and merciful. God who both opposes the wickedness of this world, but who will also show mercy on those who repent from this wicked world. So we got to be a people that know how to pray against corrupt systems and say, Lord, destroy these systems because we have a king who says the government sits on his shoulders, but also pray for the people who may work in those systems and say, no, no, save them, Lord. Draw them to yourself. The church is it's not juxtaposed that one against the other. Actually, both needs to happen. And that's what Nehemiah is showing us. He's actually modeling the exact same prayer that um, um, Jeremiah said in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 23, when he was being opposed by the the corrupt nation of Israel at that time, funny enough, he says, but you, Lord, know all their deadly plots against me. Do not wipe out their iniquity. Do not blot out their sins before you. Let them be forced to stumble before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. He was modeling the exact same prayer that the prophets prayed when the people acted corruptly. He said, tear them down so they would know you are truly who you are. When we pray for corrupt systems and corrupt nations and corrupt governments and all the corruption and the wickedness of this world, we are praying that he tears those down so that he can show he's high and lifted up and people will be drawn to him. That is the prayer that Nehemiah had that day with those people. So they continued to go forward and just start working, continue to work and put their hands to the plow. And then jumping down to verse 7 through 8, it says, When Samballot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and Ammonites, and Ashadites heard that the repair to the wall of Jerusalem was progressing and that the gaps were being closed, they became furious. So they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw it into confusion. Once again, these corrupt men, they continue to oppose the work of the Lord. They continue to say, we are going to destroy this work. We're going to stop this work at any means necessary. Again, we have an enemy who really wants to stop the work of God. Church, that is the same thing with us today. First Peter, he, he warns us in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, he says, be sober-minded, be alert. 
Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring, a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Just like these men were ready to plot and devour Israel, we have an enemy who is ready to devour us any day. And Peter says, be sober-minded. Continue to pray and look. <laughs> Pay attention to what's going on around you. There is truly an enemy who wants to stop the glory of God spreading. Church, as we're planting, this, as we're planting City of Refuge, I want you to understand that there is really an enemy who wants to stop this work and will throw things to, to, to throw us off track. Sometimes he will attack you personally and your regular life. From sickness, finances, just regular things in life. Sometimes he'll attack the character of our church. The enemy is trying to devour. He's trying to stop the glory of the Lord from moving forward. But once again, what did Nehemiah do? Verse 9. So we prayed to our God and stationed guards because of them day and night. Nehemiah didn't feel like he had to attack them or spoil their attacks against them. No, he prayed. And yes, he was vigilant. He put guards up. He made sure that he did the wise thing. and He put the, pre the, 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 the whatever he needed to put in place, the boundaries up. He knew he had to put something out, but he prayed. He didn't go on the attack. Family, when we are opposed by the enemy, when hardships land on our church, we do not have to fight. Just pray. We could just pray to the one who fights on our behalf. Listen to what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5. He says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapon of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. He's saying we don't have to fight because we have one who fights on our behalf. We have a Savior who mediates on our behalf. We do not have to fight like this world fights. That means we do not have to fight to put policies in place to make our, ourselves look big because we got a God that fights the policies of this world. We, we, we don't have to fight when things oppose the church, when, when people put out bad press against the church because we got a God who has overcome this world. When opposition hits our own personal life, when doubts hit our life, we do not have to fight because we have a God who fights on our behalf and we can seek him. We can pray to him. And every proud thing that raises up against the knowledge of God, we take thought captive to obey Christ. Literally, every time a, a thought comes up of I can't win against all the oppression coming against me, we say, but my God has won. Every time we say there are so many things coming against our church, but God said the gates of hell will not prevail against this church, he has already won. When we're prayer walking in the neighborhood and we meet so many people who are struggling with so many things in life, we can continue to look to God. He's already defeated that for those who will accept him and come to him. Our God has already won. We can take every thought captive to him. Now, the reality is, even when we are praying and we are bringing every thought captive to him and we are putting everything in place to, to guard against the doubts that might set in, doubts still come. Look at verses 10 through 12 with me. We see a picture of both doubts from the inside and doubters from the outside. It says, in Judah, it was said, the strength of the laborers fails since there is so much rubble we will never be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemy said they won't realize it until we 
we're among them and can kill them and stop the work. When the Jews who lived nearby arrived, they said to us time and again, everywhere you turn, they attack us. They were sent showing they were still doubting, even though the work was going forth. They realized what was before them. I want you to understand, they weren't going to get new stones to build the wall. These were truly broken down, burned and broken stones that they had to use to rebuild this wall. And they felt the, they felt the pressure of what they had to do. They felt it. They felt it. Family, when we are walking in the community, we feel the pressure of what's here, what's coming against us. We doubt, Lord, is it ever going to change? It's the, the, the homeless man that's at the corner store who say he needs a job and we give him opportunity to find a job. Is it ever going to change because he will not make this, take the steps to go forward? The one who says they're are tired of being addicted, yet they will not walk away from their addiction or take the help to walk away from their addiction. We may doubt and say, is it ever going to change? The beauty of it is we aren't the only ones who ever doubted. They were not the only ones that ever doubt. Matter of fact, there was a few that doubted on the most glorious day ever. Jump into Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 through 17. This was the day after Jesus is resurrected. He has spent some days with his people, and now he's about to give the great commission. It says the 11 disciples traveled to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Some doubt it. Here they are looking at the face of Jesus himself, knowing that he died on the cross, yet now he stands before me, and I see people worshiping, but yet some still doubt it. When we doubt, we shouldn't be ashamed. Because even those who looked in the face of Jesus doubted. But when we doubt, we have to know where to take our doubt and what to do with our doubts. Let's look at what Nehemiah tells those who are doubting. Let's look at what he says to them in verses 13 through 14. He says, so I stationed behind people the lowest section of the wall. At the vulnerable areas, I stationed them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I made an inspection, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. He wasn't saying, don't be afraid of them. We got enough weapons. We got enough strength on our side. Don't be afraid of them because we can fight them off. He says, no, no, no. Don't be afraid of them. Remember the great and awe-inspiring God. Remember the great and awe-inspiring Lord and fight for your countrymen, your sons and daughters, your wives and home. <laughs> He's trying to help them understand, remember where we've been? Remember what we've just come out of? Well, the reason we've come out of that is because you must remember who's been with you. Who's brought you this far this whole time? Remember who's been with you. And then he goes on, not just to remember who's been with you, but also remember those who depend on you. As a twofold, it's just kind of like love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as your own self. Remember God in all your ways and remember those around you in all that you do. That's why when those who came and doubted at the Great Commission, and, and Matthew chapter 28, when he, they came and doubted, they weren't rebuked, but listened to what Jesus himself said to them. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, he says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the ends of the age. 
even those who doubted that day when they stood before Jesus, he gave them the same command. And those who were doubting and the, the time when they were rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem, Nehemiah said, remember your God. Jesus said, remember who I am. Remember, remember, remember. Because I'm with you. I'm with you, and I'm with you, and I'm sending you to do something that others are going to depend on. This has been such an encouragement for me, family, because I won't lie. Sometimes in the midst of this church planting process, some days I'm like, Lord, what's happening? And he says, remember me. Remember me, and remember those who depend on what you do. Not because it's by my strength, my hands, but because it's by the God who sent us to go forth. He says, remember me. Remember me. Remember my gospel. Remember those who will hear this gospel. Remember what I've done so far for you, and remember I'm with you, and others will hear through you. Church, he's saying that to us all. Remember, I'm with you, and I will do this through you. Yes, you may see where we're at in the moment. The lack of hands as we're setting up and tearing down sometimes. The lack of the, the, the times where it seems like we got more things to do than people to do. The times where it seems like we may have more people here, but we don't have as many hands as we need or as much strength as we need or as much time as we, meet, we need. He says, it doesn't matter about none of that. It matters that you remember me. We must remember him, Lord. We must remember our Lord. All that he's brought us through, how we got here at this moment. And remember, he's taken us somewhere. Now, continuing on, verses 15 through 17, here's the beauty about when we trust God, he disrupts the plans of the enemy. Verses 15 through 17, it says, When our enemies heard that we knew this, their schemes and that God had frustrated us, every one of us returned to his own work on the wall. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half held spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers supported all the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers who carried the loads worked with one hand and held a weapon with the other. Here's the beauty. When we remember our God and we don't have to fight on our battles, we continue to pray to our God. In James chapter 4, verse 7, he says, Therefore, when we submit to God and resist the devil, he will flee from us. He will flee from you when those pressures come and you're like, God, I'm just going to trust you and I'm going to pray to you because I know you're with me. I'm going to hold on to your unchanging hands. The enemy cannot get a strong hold in our lives. He cannot stop us. He will not destroy us. He might mock. He might say some things to us. He might slander our names, but he cannot win. He does not win. You believe that? I like that. Yes. <laughs> when we trust him, we look to him, he says, you don't have to worry. Yes, the enemy is going to speak. He's going to try to make you doubt, but I'm with you. You can trust me. And the enemy will run. He will flee at least for a season, not always. Now, lastly, the thing is, we can pray on our own behalf. We can seek the Lord on our own behalf when the pressures of life start to beam down and try to stop us from pursuing God's glory. But at the end of the day, we must gather to fight, doubt, and encourage, and, and encourage one another. Look at verses 18 through 23. It says, each of the builders had his sword strapped beside his waist while he was building, and the one who sounded the ram's horn was beside me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is enormous and spread out. We are separated far from one another along the wall. 
Whenever you hear the sound of the ram's horn, rally to us, our God will fight for us. Literally saying, hey, we're all spread out. We're all far apart, but we're strong together. When we're together, the Lord is fighting on our behalf. That's the picture of the church. That's the picture of the church. We don't go out here on mission and telling others about this Jesus separately, but he tells us to be together. And he's telling us as a church plan, this is all us doing it together. The reason we come together on Sunday to worship is because we're fighting the doubts that the world is trying to tell us, your Lord will never win. This is how we fight our doubts. This is how we encourage one another. This is how we hold each other up, building one another up, affirming each other with the word of the Lord, telling them how great and wonderful the God that we serve is and how we can trust him. Have you trust him today? Nehemiah was said, rally together so God can fight for us. And that's what we do when we come to service together. We rally together so the Lord can fight for us. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, he tells us how we come together. He said, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. As some are doing, are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. And all the more as you see the day approaching. We come together, we rally together because there is a day coming. This battlefield right now is preparing us for the glory to come. When we rally together, we worship together, we encourage one another, we tell each other there's a day coming where we won't have to fight again. There's a day coming when we will all worship we will all see our king high and lifted up. We come together so we don't fight alone. This is how we fight doubt. This is how we encourage one another. Isn't it interesting that almost every Christian we've known that's walked away over time, it started by losing community. It started by them not rallying with the troops but being lone soldiers out there saying, I got to fight on behalf of God. And they go by themselves and all of a sudden, doubt starts to seep in. When they won't hear the, their brothers and sisters calling them out on their sins, all of a sudden, the, the church becomes those judgmental Christians and I'm the Christian who's on the island. Isn't it interesting? That's how the devil seems to weed us out. When we don't come together, that's why we come here. Because this helps us fight our doubts. And it helps us to encourage one another to keep going. Keep going for that work that will be done. For that day that is to come. That was what Nehemiah was doing and he was showing with his people. He said, the Lord's glory will be revealed here, but we must continue to seek the Lord together. We must continue to come together and do the work. Yeah, we hear the Ammonites talking, but we must stand here together and work together and trust that our Lord is taking us somewhere. Well, my question for you is, do you trust that? Do you trust that God has taken you somewhere with the church? Do you trust that the Lord is moving you forward, that he is fighting on your behalf? Are you standing solo in the fields? I want to let you know if you're standing solo in the fields, it's only one or two reasons. The enemy has either tricked you into believing that you got to do this on your own, or you may have never been a part of the family in the first place. And if you have not been a part of this family, I want you to know, and not just a part of our family, but the local church, the global church, you don't even have to be a part of City of Refuge. We'd love for you to be, but you don't have to be. But you, we do pray that you will become a part of the church. 
A people who, a person who believes that this God is fighting on your behalf. A person that believes that this Lord is for you and not against you. And see, why should we trust this God? Why should you trust this God? Because Nehemiah said, remember. And I want to tell you what you should remember. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together, which is literally a a celebration of remembrance. This God that we say we trust, this God we put our hope in, is a God who loved us, saw us in our separation from him, saw us in our desperation, and instead of telling us to come to him, he said, I'll come to you. This is the God that we remember. It's the God we trust in. This is the God who said, he gave his best, he gave his own son, his own son stepped down from heaven, wrapped himself in human flesh, lived the perfect life that neither you nor me could live. He died (laughs) an undeserved death, the very death we deserve, and he did it for us. This is the God we remember. But not not only did he die, but when he was nailed on that cross, he took all of our sins on himself on that cross, and then his taken off that cross, buried in a grave, and our sins went from that cross to that grave. And this is the God we remember. But lastly, that God who went in the grave did not stay in the grave. He, after three days of being in the grave, got out of the grave, came and brought himself back to life, given himself life, and left our sins in the dead place, in the grave. And he says, for everyone who trusted me, who remembers what I have done on their behalf, you now have that life that I have acquired for myself. This is the God we remember. If you don't know that God today, that God, that work on his, the cross wasn't just for that momentary second, but it was for all who would accept him, who would remember, oh, that was done on my behalf. I want to trust and believe and continue to hold on to that truth. I want to remember and I want to give all because he has given all to me. This is the God that Nehemiah said, remember. And for those who already remember this, then family, we celebrate this. We look to this God and we put all of our hope in this God, even when pressures come, even when doubts come, when fears come, we say, I remember my God. And I remember what it cost for me to be his. I remember the work he has called me to. So when the enemy says, where is your God now? You can say, if you are his, if you are God's people, you can say, he's right here. And the reason I don't know he's right here is because I can remember what he's been, what he's done. And I know if he's done it before, he will continue to do it. This is the God I remember. This is the God I look to. So if you are his, I would love to leave you with the sticky note. A sticky note is simply something for you to remember as you leave this place today. If you are God's, well, our God is with his people. And we can remember that. We can remember that. If this God, you're like, I don't know if he's with me. Well, today is the day to trust and believe. He is with you. And the way you trust and believe is you repent and realize that you have been far away from him, not because he hasn't been calling you to himself, but because of your own wicked sin that continues to push you further and further away from a holy God. If you will repent and say, no, I want that God. I want that God. And I know what that God has done for me. And I want to live the rest of my life remembering what this God has done for me. He is willing to accept you today. Will you accept the God who calls you to remember him? Um, At this moment, in a few moments, we are going to transition into a time of communion. Um, But before we transition into a time of communion, we do want to sing one song together for those who do remember what this God has done on our behalf.
It's a, God, a, a simple song that says, I surrender all. This is our time of meditating and preparing our hearts to come to the table to feast and say, I feast because I remember what you have done for me. Now, I want to tell you, if you do not trust this God, if this God has not called you to himself yet, if you do not know this God yet, then this meal is actually not for you. This is for those who remember. And it's not that we don't want you to come to the table, but it's we actually long for you to come to the table, but we want you to first know the one who sets the table before us. So if you do not call this God your God, yet we pray and ask that you please abstain from this meal for today. And we pray and long for the day when we can celebrate that meal with you. So before we pray, I'm going to pray for, I mean, before we sing, I'm going to pray for our time together. And then I'm going to ask all to rise so we can sing I Surrender All to this God that we remember. Father, I pray today that we continue to remember the goodness that is you. Even when our doubts and fears tell us you are not good, help us to remember how much you have done on our behalf, how you have fought on our behalf, how you continue to fight and intercede on our behalf, and you draw us closer to you. You gave such a great and wonderful gift in your son. You gave your very best. So, Father, all we can do is give all that we have because we would never be able to pay back the debt that you paid on our behalf. So, Lord, I pray that everyone under the sound of my voice, that they will remember how good and faithful you are, that they will run to you, that they will trust you with all they do. And I pray as we move into a time of worshiping and singing I surrender all to you. And we sing it with a heart lifted up to you, truly saying, no, Jesus, I surrender all to you. So, Lord, hear our prayers, hear our cries, and hear our worship today as a sweet aroma to your nose. And help us to worship you with spirit and truth, with pure hands and a clean heart. See your wonderful son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.